Hey, what's up, Sarah Mindsets? This is another episode of Sarah Mindsets. Today, we've got another amazing founder. Will Peng is the CEO of Northstar. Uh, they make it easy for everyone to access affordable, personalized financial advice. To date, they've raised a Series A, um, including great investors like M13 and a couple other ones I'm pretty sure we'll get, get into. Oh, actually, I got them right here. Uh, Foundation Capital, Workday Ventures, uh, and Parade Ventures. And their customers to date, they include some impressive names such as Snapchat, Zoom, uh, as well as uh, Service Titan. So big things going on with this company. And Will is here to join us on the show. So Will, thank you for making the time, man. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Well, you know, do you mind, I guess, just telling us a little bit about yourself? I know that, you know, reading your story, your first generation American, just want to hear it from you and just uh, learn, learn about you from a personal standpoint. Yeah. So I was actually born in Taiwan and I'm one of six kids and uh, kind of had the classic Asian American immigrant story. Uh, and uh, uh, parents moved uh, their family to our family to the U.S. Uh, when I was quite young and uh, was lucky enough to go to a, a great college, but graduated with a ton of student debt and uh, didn't really have anybody to turn to to figure out how to best pay them off. I was excited to have my first job out of college. I was living in New York City, uh, but had zero dollars in my savings account um, <laughs> and uh, but had a, had a retirement plan through work, choosing the right health insurance plan, had stock options. Um, it was a dizzying amount of decisions that I had to make. Uh, and, and so I uh, went to the University of Google and did my best to, to teach myself and uh, but still made a lot of the, the, the mistakes and, and, and learned the hard way. Um, so um, I started my career as a, as a product designer and uh, self-taught and, and so design and, and, and building products to, to solve uh, kind of personal finance problems in a completely new way is, is uh, really core to, to, to my and our approach. And uh, that's kind of forms the foundation of our mission, which is that uh, we feel that everyone deserves access to the best financial advice to, to make the best decisions for themselves. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, it just seems like such a, you know, when you, when we talk about personal finance for individuals, it's everyone's got their case by case basis, just, you know, you know, different financial goals everyone has. I mean, I guess for myself and I guess traditionally what we're taught as kids is, uh, you know, you want to be on a route to buying a home or you know, just financially stable where you got a backup plan and all that. Well, with Northstar, with what you got right here, I uh, just want to know, like, how do you enable not only the employers to provide this tool to their employees, but like, you know, how, how does it work? Say I work at Zoom or something and I'm, you know, needing to understand my, my uh, pay package or whatever. Uh, and, you know, they put me in touch with Northstar. Can you walk me through like how that goes? Yeah, um, so we really love working with employers. So with at Northstar, we we primarily partner with employers to uh, offer access to both uh, financial advisors, uh, certified financial planners, tax advisors, investment advisors, um, as well as a number of self service tools and apps to manage your 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 finances, your budget, receive your financial plan, and kind of make progress towards your goals. So it's kind of the the best of both worlds. You have the empathy and emotional support and, and kind of in-depth analysis and understanding of, of real human financial advisors, but also the scalability um, and, and, and uh, analysis of, of technology. And what's really cool about uh, the fact that we work with employers is that we're also able to layer on 
the compensation and benefits that you receive from your employer. So this is your salary, your retirement plans, your health insurance, any perks that you receive that support your specific life goals. We proactively recommend the ways that you can utilize those to achieve your financial goals even faster. Uh, it's kind of like your financial plan is like your life plan. Um, so it's really exciting to see the ways that the employment, the employer-employee relationship has not is not only the primary source of wealth creation, uh, but it's also a way for uh, employees to receive kind of whole life support. Um, so that's that's kind of a high level of our particular right. approach. Um, and oftentimes uh, employees may have questions right when they join the company or maybe during open enrollment when they're choosing the right health insurance plan. Um, and, and so it's a, it's a really seamless integration in the employee experience. And we're really proud that over 50% of all employees uh, utilize Northstar, which is really phenomenal compared to any other uh, oh, wow. service that's offered through, through an employer. Yeah. Uh, well, just, I guess, like historically, this process of financial planning or, you know, this type of stuff before you guys came along, was it done from, I guess, in, in the employers would just, you know, not have an option and they would pick it out, uh, you know, through just however they saw saw that fit their lifestyle or what was going on? <laughs> pretty, before? pretty much. I mean, I think that's the, that's the key about this, this space is that the status quo for many people was nothing. <laughs> because uh, there are there are kind of a few different fundamental issues in in uh, the way that kind of the financial advice industry is structured. The m- first and foremost is the the cost. Um, it's really expensive traditionally to, to work with a financial advisor. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, it makes sense because uh, the traditional financial advice model is based heavily on 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 phone calls um, and and some things that are not scalable. Which uh, of course, if you're a financial advisor, then you'll naturally tend to work toward work with clients who are who who are pretty wealthy. Right, uh, right. But in, in many cases, uh, the, it's not just people who who are wealthy who need financial advice, but but everybody. Um, the other thing is related to the way that advice is delivered. Um, so uh, traditionally, it's like a 50, 50 page financial plan, but your eyes kind of glaze over, even if it is <laughs> comprehensive and the best possible advice. Uh, so that's that's the, the, the second thing that um, is, is really interesting. Um, and then the third is what I mentioned earlier, which hasn't really ever been done before, which is the intersection of financial advice and, and compensation and benefits that you receive from work. Normally, when you kind of get financial advice, it's sort of like, how can I how can I budget more? Mm-hmm. Uh, how can I budget better or maybe just contribute to my retirement plan? But that's pretty much it. Uh, but I think we've seen that many employers have shifted to offering more than just a salary and a retirement plan and health insurance and, and, and many more uh, offerings than that. Um, and so the responsibility has continued to shift uh, not only to the individual to make the best decisions for themselves, but also to the employer uh, to, because they're oftentimes getting the questions from their employees about, hey, how do I think about, how do I think about uh-huh. these stock options? Or uh, what are the tax implications? Um, or we've also heard uh, uh, many stories about maybe a VP of engineering. There's an engineer on their team who, who asked them, hey, should I buy a house? <laughs> and they're like, I actually don't know. Like, I don't know your personal situation, uh, but I want to be helpful. And they're off on Google looking up what to say. And, and so it's, a, it's about equipping everybody in, in, in a company to support each other financially when these questions come up. Sure, sure. Yeah. I've had, uh, I've had the conversation with friends too. Like, for example, I had friends who work at Uber and Spotify and they were like, hey, I'm leaving this company, but I got like two weeks to sell these stocks. Like, 
what do I do? Or like, what would you do? I'm like, I don't know, man. I'm not, not really. Yeah. Um, and what's really important <laughs> to note is that as an employer, there are many different limitations. So first and foremost is expertise. So uh, HR and managers are not financial advisors, so they're not qualified to give financial advice. Like I said, mm-hmm. this VP of engineering was looking it up on Google. Um, but the second is that even if they wanted to give advice, uh, they're limited by regulations. Let's assume, sure. that, and that even assumes that an employee wants to talk to their employer about their personal finances in their life. I think there's usually like a bit of a hesitation uh, to do that. Um, and then let's say we even got past those things. Um, it's really difficult, as I said before, about giving financial advice to do it scalably. So uh, an HR team, for example, is just not big enough to spend so much time one-on-one with each individual employee to give them the attention that they deserve. Gotcha. So what we've created as a service is something that is a true partner to the employer to be able to, uh, the employer can basically say, hey, go work with Northstar. You can work one-on-one with a, an advisor that you're paired with. It's not a call center who can really understand your situation, who, uh, uh, where we right. focus on diversity and equity and inclusion so that you can work with somebody who maybe comes from a similar background as you. But not only that, they are familiar with our compensation and benefits plans so that it's not going to be a back and forth where a question comes back to the employer and then they have to say, go back to your financial advisor. So it's a really natural relationship that we've built in, in this channel. See, yeah, I got a question here. Like, how do you, I guess, have a financial advisor ready to service uh, these employees? Like, do you, how, how do you, I guess, match one or do you hire internally financial advisors to, to specifically do the, do the job for uh, the, the employees or how does that go? Yeah, we have both. We have a full team of financial advisors, both in-house full-time on our team, as well as in our network of advisors. And this is really great because it's, it's kind of like you think about it as a uh, uh, the, the healthcare model. You have a your, your primary care physician um, who is the first person that you go to, um, and then as you need specialist advice, whether it be tax advice or investment advice or compensation and benefits advice, uh, you you can also work with somebody um, at Northstar on that. Um, and that's really important to note is that that the intersection of those different types of advice is is really important. <laughs> Um, rather than having to go to a bunch of different advisors. Yeah, no, I think, you know, even with any, for anyone, not necessarily they have to impl- be an employee at a big company or anything, definitely thinks about their finances and, uh, you know, in, in their own ways. And I think with your guys' uh, product and technology, you guys are giving them more f- more flexibility and more like options in terms of how to start with managing their money and knowing their compensation packages and looking at their wealth from a, a point of view, that's, that's really important. So kudos to you guys. I want to just know, like, I guess a business person who wants to ask like, what, uh, like how does North star make, make their money back or, you know, what's the kind of the business plan here that you guys want to create? Because I think like when somebody wants to, I guess, go after this market, like I, th- I think like maybe like an app like mint or like a, like a personal finance app was, what's been traditionally seen, but you guys definitely have a personalized approach with uh, people involved and, you know, employee, real employees. uh, Actually there's, there's work involved. I mean, there's stuff going on and I think that's cool, but just like, what's the business plan with, uh, or how how does North Star make money simply? 
Yeah, it's a great question and something that we, we, we're really being really thoughtful about. Uh, the way that we make money, the only way that we make money is a, a subscription uh, fee that the employer pays us. And there, there are a few different key differences here. Uh, first and foremost is, as, as we've been talking about, the idea of access. So traditionally, financial advisors are incredibly expensive and individuals oftentimes can't pay for that out of pocket. Um, and so when the employer pays it, uh, and, and also we've reduced the price of it um, down to five to $10 per employee per month, um, it's, it's a pretty phenomenal uh, deal because, and we're able to do that because of the technology that we've built to allow our financial advisors to not only scale their time, but also provide a more in-depth quality of service. So often historically, if you, you could only choose one or the other. So if you want to be scalable, then you end up with something that's really basic and generic. Um, and if you want something that's uh, really in-depth, it can't be scalable. It's going to be really expensive. So with Northstar, we've built a, a product um, from the ground up, a service from the ground up that can actually provide both of those. And, and on top of that, when the employer is paying an employee, it's free to the employee. That really creates a truly accessible product um, that, that supports our mission. Um, the second thing that's really important to note here is that uh, this, this is the only uh, way that we make money. And it's really important to understand, especially in the, in, in the financial services industry, uh, how companies make money. Because when, let's say, for example, one of the most um, um, uh, right. devious uh, ways that companies make money uh, in, in this space is that there are, there, there's, a, there's a huge market of shady financial advisors with, with acronyms of <laughs> uh, advice certifications that are frankly a, a scam. And uh, you find out that they're actually trying to maybe sell you a life insurance policy. Yeah. Or maybe they're trying to sell you something. And when you follow the money, you understand why they're giving you financial advice, um, but disguised as a, 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 an unbiased financial plan. So uh, it, it's really important to us that we don't create any incentives. We don't take any money from referring product, recommending products. Um, the, the other uh, kind of, and so that's kind of the financial advice industry. Um, and then the other thing related to uh, kind of consumer fintech like budgeting apps is that the predominant uh, business model for these apps has been um, a free product upfront, um, but they make money by either selling your data or um, making money from uh, kind of affiliate and referral programs. Uh, and similarly, I, I think that's why a lot of these products feel like billboards because they are. Uh, <laughs> they get paid whenever somebody signs up for a product. So, so it's a fundamentally different model where I think a lot of these products are um, free at the top of the funnel. Uh, so they have high volume, uh, but very low conversion rates because they make money on, on these kind of uh, uh, low uh, customization recommendations. Whereas for us, um, it, it, it's a, a much more of a personalized approach where every recommendation that we make um, has a much higher conversion rate to, to using that because the, the actual individual signing up for that because underlying all of this is trust and trust right. is, is, is earned. Uh, trust is not something that you can assume that you have and it's something that you can lose immediately. So um, when we think about pricing, it's not just about how do we, how do we build a successful business, but it's about how do we build a long-term business that is completely aligned with the employee and the individual? Uh, because because that, that's how we build a generational company.
No, yeah, that's that sounds like a really great go to market. I think it's you know uh, pretty in- incredible. <laughs> uh, you know, one thing I want to add, or one thing that I noticed, uh, kind of just looking around uh, the company website and my own thoughts was North Star can actually help like startups or co- whoever you guys work with uh, in, in uh, what's it called can, uh, have higher employee retainment. I'm thinking just since I, you know, in Silicon Valley, a lot of uh, people change jobs um, or job hop, like, you know, like every year or so it's, 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 it's kind of crazy. Uh, but, you know, with North star and how you guys offer the service and I mean, I mean, employees are happier, right. When they have a uh, financial wellness, as, as you guys call it, do you see that the employers are, having less turnover because of, or do you see in the future that this could lead to less turnover and what do you think is the no the the personal value for the companies who who use you guys' product or service just since uh yeah that's uh, exactly yeah. right uh our the employers th- that we work with really love how we can help them attract and retain the top talent because uh, their compensation and benefits are are one of the biggest expenditures, on, uh, and they do it because they they, they want to uh, attract and retain the top talent in addition to supporting their employees holistically. Uh, one of the biggest challenges that they face, though, is that even though they spend a lot of money here and be really thoughtful around um, supporting specific life stages, for example, maybe they want to support families really well. So they put together a, a package that... Um, has great health insurance and, and, and great kind of family support benefits uh, as an example. Um, but they really struggle with communicating the value of that to, to their employees. Uh, as you were saying, like employees, oftentimes the, 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 the average tenure at, at a company these days is, is quite low. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of that is, is, is in my opinion, the, because of uh, employees only see a higher salary as a way to achieve their financial goals. Uh, but the reality is that there are many, um, perhaps non-cash value benefits that uh, can make a significant difference in uh, people's lives. Um, like, yeah. for example, like Snap, is, as you mentioned, is one of our clients and they offer a significant uh, reimbursement for adoption and surrogacy. Uh, I know infertility is a, is a big challenge for, for many couples and many families these days and not talked about enough. And so it's really incredible the ways that they're supporting uh, new, new, new families. Uh, sure. And if you didn't know about that uh, and, and you just went in search for, for a, a job with a incrementally higher salary, then, then you would probably actually be worse off. So it's about <laughs> finding ways to highlight uh, and communicate those benefits, but also more importantly, provide a, a create a personalized plan uh, based on, on people's goals. Um, and, and so we are seeing a much better, uh, uh, not only uh, candidate acceptance rate with our clients, but also uh, l- lower turnover as a result of uh, working with Northstar. That's awesome. Yeah, I had to ask, like, what was it like landing a big customer like Zoom, right? Like with startups, you guys are a startup, right? So it's like kind of uh, hard. I mean, I, I'd assume like for anyone who, who has like a big idea, um, and I guess a lot of the listeners for the podcast are uh like young entrepreneurs when it comes to landing a big customer like zoom or snap or anyone that you've previously mentioned um earlier did you do you approach i guess like a big deal like that in a a different or does a team look at that differently uh in terms of like closing that sale just since uh or closing that partnership just since uh it's it's such a 
such a like a big accomplishment from the outside looking in just wondering like you as an operator like how do you see landing a top customer or how do you what's your like attitude or mindset for that yeah i mean especially with zoom and snap we were truly a startup at that point um we're still a startup but uh they were our largest customers uh to date and it was an incredible validation of the vision that we were pitching and the mission that we have. Uh, and at the time I felt this way, but especially in hindsight, I have an incredible amount of appreciation for them for taking a bet on us. Hmm. And, uh, and it's been awesome to, and I've, I've spoken to, to both of them recently and it's been awesome to, now look back and say, hey, like, it's kind of crazy <laughs> that you took a bet on us, but um, it's awesome that we've been able to follow through with everything that we've promised and more. And uh, uh, we, we uh, um, approached everything with, with, a, with a ton of professionalism, mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and, but, but also being upfront with that, the fact that we're a startup. You're getting something, you're getting a fundamentally different product than the status quo. And in the early days, it's, it's about, uh, finding those uh, innovators who are excited about taking that risk and are willing to go to bat for you internally to, to advocate to, for why you should go with this. And, and, and um, this is a kind of an old school um, yeah. saying, uh, but no one's ever been fired for going with IBM, right? I mean, this is back in the day. When kind of heard of that. What do you mean by that? Or what, how, how, do, how do we understand that statement? Yeah. So like back in the day, like I, IBM was, was one of the most dominant technology companies and, and had a wide set of service offerings. And so when you're deciding which vendor to go with, you, you'd rather go with the safe option, even though it's particular, it's not particularly <laughs> exciting, but it's known uh, rather than going with the innovator. So um, there's, there, there's, um, there's a, there's a book uh, called crossing the chasm, actually uh, crossing the chasm yeah. where, it talks about the, the this idea of the diffusion of innovation, and about how you want to find those uh, uh, innovators uh, and those early adopters initially, um, who 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 will believe in this and are willing to take a risk on this. Um, and it, it's interesting, even today, as we uh, are, even after we've established uh, kind of the product market fit of of our particular approach about how financial wellness is more than just another perk, but rather than something that is foundational to the employee experience. Um, it, it, it's it's uh, still uh, important to understand, huh? Like who, who, what's, what, type of per what type of customer are we talking to here? If somebody is kind of a laggard to continue to use the term in that framework, um, then, then maybe let's just keep in touch, right? Um, but it's about finding those innovators who will believe in you in the early days. Right. Yeah. You know, I think when I was a venture cap, I was, when I was in VC, like the startups we would talk to, they would uh, try to launch a pilot or, you know, when they were going up the ladder in terms of who are they selling to, you know, it was, it was, it was very much a framework of let's just work with who our friends are and, and show the product value to people who we kind of have a level of trust with. But I guess like with you guys, like, you, you, as you mentioned, they had to take a risk. And I guess like as a VC, like, you know, you, you've seen this, you've, you've seen companies try to just operate in a, in a style of uh, get a major customer by, by chance and, and luck, but you've done it multiple, 
times and as you were mentioning as a really young as a true startup there's not too much proven at the time when you were going after these these big deals do you think like what what do you think you guys did to to kind of get them on board um just from a a pitch standpoint or you know just i guess in more detail like what, what do you think got them to, to take the risk or be a partner there's always a little bit of luck involved in everything. Uh-huh. So let's start with that. <laughs> um, at the time uh, when we signed some of these large accounts, um, we did have uh, some proof points under our belt, right? We had a we had a, a working product. Um, we had uh, earlier customers who were smaller. So so Zoom and Snap were not our first customers, mm-hmm. but they were at the time our largest customers. Uh, they no longer are, but uh, <laughs> at the time they were our largest customers. So. We started somewhere, right? I mean, when you talk about like the diffusion of innovation, like even before innovators, right? Like you kind of have friends and family almost, yeah. right? One of our actual first customer was a hundred person startup uh, introduced to us by one of our uh, uh, pre-seed investors. So we shared an investor and uh, that founder has since uh, gone on to be one of my best friends. Nice. Um, and uh, but at the time, like I met with him, he was like, wow, I love your mission. Let's just, let's do it. It was a CEO, it was a small enough company. And he just said, let's do it. <laughs> um, and it was people like that who took a bet on us. And so like you kind of iteratively build up from there. I mean, you can kind of be systematic about it as well, which is like, and and I, I'd imagine the, you can be systematic about the the different risks that you're looking to solve for. So just like how you as a founder uh, mm-hmm. are thinking of what you need to think about um, the staging out of risks um, and, and prioritization of risks uh, where uh, you need to focus on, uh, for example, like the very or very early days, like does the product even work, let alone people will buy it. So does the product work? Um, and, and are you focusing on like that one specific need? And then the next level up is, are people willing to buy it and pay for it? Uh, or even before that, are people, are people willing to use right. it, right? So does the product work? Are, are people going to use it? And then are people going to, are willing to pay for it? And then beyond that is, are people willing to pay for, are a lot of people willing to pay for it? <laughs> um, so, so in, in a, some senses, like the, the staging out of risks uh, that you have to figure out for yourself as a founder is the same set of risks that you need to prove to an investor to mm-hmm. be willing to invest. Um, and then is the same sort of risks that uh, a potential customer is looking at. Uh, so obviously a larger enterprise um, is more risk averse. They can't afford to launch something that is not good or the product doesn't work or people won't use it or people aren't willing to pay for it, right? But if you iteratively prove out to that point that um, you, you've, you've, you've solved for all those things, then uh, by, that, by the time we get to Zoom, uh, they're like, okay, like this is a reasonable risk that I'm willing to take on because the value I'm seeing here is yeah. so different from what I can see from the status quo. No, that's a really valid, incredible point. I think you, you know, you know, that's such a, yeah. I, I loved how you explained that. Here from you next is like, kind of just you know, looking at your bio, <laughs> you uh, you spent a lot of time in the VC world and across the table, right, where people are wanting to raise money from you. What was a major thing you've implemented from switching sides on the table to uh, uh, the, the CEO operator side coming uh, from the the the, VC, the general partner side? What was, uh, I guess, something that you took from being a VC and are able to, to do better now, you think, or has helped you in your, 
journey as a as a startup founder. Um, just since uh, that's that's which is pretty interesting. Since I guess we see the the, the a lot of times people are founders of companies and they you know they raise money as a VC and that's kind of their their career path. But you you kind of uh, wouldn't say re- necessarily went in reverse, but uh, went um, a different different route into becoming a founder. Just uh, wanted to hear from you, like what was uh, a major takeaway that you learned as a, as a VC and then have uh, incorporated into running a company? Yeah, I think the line between the investor and operator is actually quite fluid. And there are a lot of people out there who, who, who do it uh, quite well and oftentimes simultaneously. Um, but uh, so, so for me, I think it, it's, it was incredibly valuable to um, have been a VC before starting a company um, I think the the biggest uh, takeaway that I've had from from being an investor is um, thinking holistically about the business by default. So before I was a VC, I I was a product designer, and mm-hmm. so I think if I had started a company with only the product design experience, I, I would be looking. The only tool I have in my tool belt is design. Interesting. So uh, if if I'm faced with a problem, naturally I'm going to focus on the tools that I that I that I feel. Uh, like I'm an expert in, uh, and uh, but 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 I think design, while it's an incredible tool, is only one of many different tools. So I wouldn't solve uh, every single problem with with um, design as like kind of that hammer. Um, but uh, and and so something that uh, I appreciate now and kind of a, I'm a, a weird designer, uh, <laughs> but I, uh, I would say actually I would rephrase that and say this to not only our design team, but every other functional role within our company is that the, the, the ways that you can level up um, in your skill set is to take into, a considera- take into consideration right. all of the business goals and uh, business priorities in, in, in your decisions. So it's not just about building the most beautiful product or the best possible user experience. Sometimes those priorities, design priorities actually conflict with the business goals. And and that's when those trade-offs need to happen. And it's to be able to figure out the ways that design can support the business goals or sales can support the business goals or, or, or products can. I think that's, that's a really important framework to keep in mind because many decisions that support business goals uh, may actually conflict with, with say, design needs. Um, mm. and, and in many ways, I'm still quite embarrassed by our product. There's so much room for our product to grow, um, but it's important for us to have prioritized the, the, the aspects of our product that are u- the unique differentiators. So that's, that's a piece of advice that I would, I, I would say is probably the most important thing. Um, <laughs> one of the most important things as a founder is, is focus. What is your unique differentiator? Be really uh, explicit and, and uh, laser focused and, and almost narrowly defined what that is, and then focus on that. Uh, for us, when we first started the company in the personal finance management space, it's such a broad space with so right. many different uh, possible solutions. We could have built the best possible budgeting app and taken the best features from every single budgeting app that exists out there. But the problem is that we probably still would be building those features and we probably would have gone out of business because it's a set of it's it's because it's not a unique differentiator. We're just by definition copying what already exists and bundling it together. And 
I think a, a great, um, another example of this, actually to finish that right. thought, um, whereas for us, our unique differentiator is democratization of financial advice to everybody and the intersection of that financial advice with the things that you get from your employer, which is not only your salary and your compensation, but also your benefits. So your stock, your equity compensation, your health insurance, all everything, all, everything that you have available to you to achieve your financial goals. Nobody's really done that before. And by focusing on that, but having kind of kind of low quality budgeting tools and features, yeah. the, the, the low quality budgeting features are not what's going to kill our business. Not building something that's a unique differentiator is what's going to kill our business. So another example of this is actually with Instagram. This is kind of a famous story at this point, but uh, they the first product they built was uh, actually um, trying to copy a bunch of features uh, from Flickr. Yeah, they were uh, called Bourbon, right? Or right, like and and uh, it was it was it was not really going anywhere. Um, but uh, by refocusing their priorities around speed and uh, kind of the follow model with the, with the social connectivity, that's when they blew up. Uh, but they could have spent they could have doubled down on hey we got to beat Flickr. But that's that that is a uh, yeah that is a uh, as you would call it like a local maximum. Um, you could beat Flickr, but that's not really a big market to be in. So by building a unique differentiator, they were able to become where they are today. Yeah, yeah. I, I was reading that book by Sarah Fryer. What's it called? Um, I forget the I forget the title. <laughs> but yeah, the, the history of Instagram is pretty interesting. I walk around South Park and San Francisco sometimes and think about, oh yeah, this is a, a place where the world um, had one of the most successful companies' products and, and all that. So it's, it's quite fascinating. I guess like with... With you, you know, you brought up a lot of excellent points, like, you know, what's in your tool belt and being able to utilize what uh, what you have at the time. And, and I guess as a founder, it's you're never going to have all the tools, and you're doing uh, the the you're doing, I guess, like a, a young startup. Um, or the people in the young startup are doing multiple; they're wearing multiple hats, right? So. It's it's kind of kind of crazy, um, and I guess like one thing I want to share is like from the VC community or the VC peers that I have, it seems like they don't fully experience this uh, wearing multiple hats thing since it's kind of you know VC sit at the the table and do look at the 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 financials and they assess the future potential of a company. But um, for you, uh, Will, when it came to doing stuff like wearing multiple hats, like working or, you know, understanding marketing instead of, or doing marketing, right. Or like, you know, managing marketing and managing all the different aspects of a business. How did, how did you do your time management or how did you do approach, approach that challenge just since, uh, uh, it's, it's something that founders. The, the age old question of time management. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, I, 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 it's not something that, uh, it's something that I continue to work on. Uh, and, I wouldn't say that um, I've solved it by any means. And just because you know the framework doesn't mean you actually follow through with it. Um, mm -hmm. it it's so easy to just work on what's in front of you or what's uh, most recent or what feels the most urgent. But I think it's really important to uh, oftentimes take, pick your head up and think about um, uh, that kind of risk framework that I was talking about before. Uh, and especially in the early days as a designer, I think I, I, I still, I still fought this, which is that in the early days as a designer, uh, 
I would tend towards, Hey, like maybe I should, uh, redesign the product. And I spent yeah. in hindsight, maybe a little bit too much time on the nitty gritty of the user experience, but instead I need to be spending more time with customers. And so like, I, I think spending more time with customers is really important, uh, because that's, that's the real feedback that you're going to get. Um, and, and I would say that's actually helped what's helped us iterate, uh, to such a unique model. It wasn't just that I sat around and thought about it really hard. Uh, and, so I think in terms of time management, it's it's uh, focusing on what the most important business risk and uh, is at that moment in time, right? Uh, and making sure that all of your time is focused on that, rather than things that may feel good to finish to check off your to do list, mm-hmm. um, but uh, oftentimes the the unknowns are are uh, both the most uh, uh, challenging, but where you need to be spending your time. Gotcha. Mike, host Earl, he, um, he actually had an investor pitch and he couldn't make it until now, but what's up, bro? <laughs> hey, 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 yeah, sorry. I'm late here, Will, but I'm super excited to talk to you just because, you know, I'm also in the general fintech space and uh, I think you've uncovered a really cool, like kind of combination of, you know, H- HR employee plus fintech. I mean, it's, it's pretty nice. Nice. Uh- Back in. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you will. Um, you know, what I really wanted to to know is, you know, um, out of the universe, I guess, of fintech, you know, um, how did you even discover that, you know, merging kind of financial wellness and employee wellness is something that was there, right? <laughs> I mean, I guess you know, people think that that's kind of what you should do, kind of on your own, and not, you know, involve. A chart for it, you know. Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, it's at the time you, you could see, you could think that it's somewhat unintuitive, but now that it's happened, it's a huge market. Uh, and I, as I was saying uh, earlier to Dan, it, it wasn't like I just sat around in, in a dark room and just thought really hard about it. It was the constant iteration uh, and focus on the specific problems that existed and when people have those problems. Um, and uh, that the focus on that was, was what got us to where we are today. And going all the way back to my personal story, this is a problem that I faced myself uh, when I graduated from college. And so it's a combination of both. I and mean, when you talk about like product market fit, I, I knew what the product should look like, but the question was, where, what was the market? Mm. And in order to do that, I focused on the moment in time where I had that problem, which is around uh, millennial age, right? For, for like my twenty, my, young twenty years. Yeah, I was, I was, I was just out of college, and and I had my first job, and I had no idea what to do with any of these things that I was getting from my employer. So we started there and we started getting early traction and it was interesting to people. The initial pitch was the employer should offer access to financial advisors for their employees. Mm-hmm. That was an okay pitch. It was kind of like a nice to have. And it wasn't until I spoke to hundreds of buyers that they, I was able to iterate to the current model today. And I think what was really important was the fact that I, I'm, I don't have a sales background, but I was out <laughs> doing sales. Basically it was, I, I, it was, I think it's definitely possible to hire a salesperson too early. Like the founder needs sure. to go out and do sales, regardless of whether they have a background in sales or not. 
Were you, were you uncomfortable having these, t- like trying to sell the oh, company? Oh, for sure. Like, you're right. How for did you sure, get over that, yeah. man? Because I'm, I'm, I'm uncomfortable doing certain things that involve sales too. So, so yeah, I, I mean, take. I, I think, I think there are a few different things here. The first is curiosity uh, and leaning into curiosity mm-hmm. rather than thinking of a rejection as a no or a, a, a referendum on you as a person. I know that's easier said than done, but by being inherently curious, you're interested in learning more about why they're saying these things. You're, sure. they're, they're, these are interesting people and you're just learning. And so for me, another thing was, I think that there's actually a, a lot of overlap between sales and design, believe it or oh, not. Wow. <laughs> because I think at the core of really good design is an understanding of your customer. Right. You, again, you don't want to sit around in a dark room and design something, this beautiful uh, product that nobody uses. So it's really important as a designer to be talking to your customers constantly. And I've done user research before. You don't think of it as sales, but I've done user research before. And so if you approach it that way, you're just, and so I, what I was saying was like, I, I would talk to a customer or a prospect and they would say, I don't want this. Sometimes they'd be really mean about it. And I would yeah. go and cry into my pillow for, like, <laughs> but uh, then I would turn around and be like, huh, that's actually pretty interesting. And I would design an updated design or prototype or deck. And sure. I would go back to them and say, Hey, what about this? And it was that constant iteration and feedback loops that, uh, and we continue to still need to do uh-huh. at this stage of our business to, to understand and build something that people really want. So I, I would, uh, I would, I would uh, do your best not to think about right, a so. no in sales as a no forever. Some of, some of our best customers were initial no's. Mm-hmm. Wow. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. I love your point you brought up there. I think I was in a VC. I, we had a VC come into the office one time and Dan Rosen, the founder of uh, commerce ventures was saying it's one of his tips was to, to be curious and it's hard to, hard to be curious. Um, when there's like this fear wall or this like rejection anticipation wall there. So I think, you know, finding that balance is um, something we're, we're trying to understand as well. Yeah. The other <laughs> thing is the other thing to note there is, and, and maybe you can get turn rejection into a friend is that let's say you have two choices. Mm-hmm. You, you could either go for it and present something to somebody and they say that they're not interested or you could say nothing yeah. And they're just thinking that they're not interested. Which one would you rather have? Would you rather have the information that they're not interested? Or would you rather <laughs> think incorrectly think that they're interested and then build your entire business plan based on that incorrect assumption? Wow. I mean this is, I think this is right. I think this is the at the core of what people say when they say fail fast. Yeah, hey Earl, do you have a comment there? I mean you're you're yeah, no, I mean the, maybe my, my my last thought here is like why beat a B2B business uh, versus say a B2C business, right? Because, you know, most most of us, right, are not necessarily trained to sell to companies, but a lot of us uh, want to consume technology. How did you think about that when, you, when you're looking at this idea? Just because I think, you know, even our listeners sometimes, it's just easy to think about a B2C business, but not actually, you know, like fintech, a lot are B two C, right? Um, but then you you chose to think about it to talk to, let's say, what you mentioned, like companies, prospects, you know, HR, etc. Like, I'm super curious about that because 
it's always a struggle for, for most people. Yeah, I don't think one is better than the other. And also, I think specifically for us, I mean, the, 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 the correct answer is different for every single problem. So what worked for us may not work for somebody else. But I would encourage people to, who, who are more familiar with B2C or, or, or maybe are more familiar with B2C because uh, they don't have experience with sales um, to not immediately roll out B2B because it's unknown. I think oftentimes what's unknown is scary because it's unknown, not because it's harder. So yeah. uh, quickly validating who's a buyer, who's willing to buy is going to be really important because, and so like the part of our story that is really interesting is that we did explore B2C, mm -hmm. but what we found is that uh, you run into challenges that you see in the consumer fintech space, which is um, uh, the problem of um, the vitamin versus painkiller problem. Like when do people have a specific problem? When do people need financial advice? And when are people willing to pay for it? And what are people, how many people are willing to pay for it? And, and so when, when faced with those challenges, while it may be uh, perceived as easier to sit in your office and, and uh, go buy some, some Facebook ads and, and, and yeah. search engine <laughs> ads and, and see the traffic come in. What we found is actually to be a much more elegant model is, is our current model is, is actually, even though it's B2B, is actually B2B2C. So it actually makes it a little bit harder for us because we really have two customers. One of them is the buyer and one of them is the user. But with B2B2C models, if you can pull it off, you have a really resilient model. Uh, so that's that's kind of what, where we ended up. Um, but I, I think if, if I were to extrapolate to broader advice, I, I would say not to be afraid of um, something, a particular distribution channel, just because it, you haven't done it before. Yeah, no, that's that's incredible. I think uh, it's, it's actually kind of motivating too, just uh, in terms of conversations we have here and figuring out like how to do something you've never done before. It's it's uh, uh, incredible to hear what you guys have done and are continuing to do. So definitely that. I do have a couple of last standard questions here. Yeah, um, yeah, sure. And uh, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll take a crack on that. So, you know, our, 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 class, our, our listeners really love this question, but I'll, I'll pose it to you. You know, if you had to give advice to your 20-year-old self, knowing what you know now, um, what would you tell yourself? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of related to the, the, what we've, everything that we've been talking about just now, which is that you deserve to be there. I think so much of, if, especially if you're doing something that you, you don't, have never done before. Um, this is kind of a different version of like the fake it till you make it. Yeah. Um, but uh, especially if you don't come from a privileged background, sometimes you question, hmm, like, may, like am, I, am I even doing the right thing here? And, and, and um, especially failures, like right? you, you have more, you have farther to fall. Um, but uh, you deserve to be there and, 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 um, don't let um, don't let that prevent you from reaching out cold to that person or going for it, right? I mean, yeah. Uh, and, and so the, I, I myself have, have faced sometimes the paralysis of like, oh, like they'll never respond to me. But some of my best contacts have been from cold emails. So uh, yes. obviously that takes forms other than cold emails. But um, uh, yeah, you just you kind of have to go for it. I love it. And maybe you know, if you had to explain your startup mindset. Um, in one to two sentences, and how would you summarize that? Startup, my, startup mindset. Can you say more about what you mean by startup mindset? Yeah, so basically like more of like, you know, um, your entrepreneurial mindset or like your mindset when starting a business, right? 
one or two sentences. Or, you know, use however many sentences you need, man. I, I guess we just <laughs> I've always said one or two, but I think like this could be a whole paragraph, actually. It's going to be a whole book, uh, writing a book um, about it. Yeah, I would just reiterate everything that I've said so far on, on this on this podcast, which is uh-huh. be inherently curious uh, and seek out the truth. Uh, we'll talk to customers constantly. Uh, and the, the more that you seek out the truth uh, and, and don't shy away from it, uh, the, the more successful that you'll be. Uh, stay true to your mission. And, and uh, 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 right. I think as long as you're inherently curious, I think you'll, you'll follow a path that, that's uh, interesting. Yeah, that's that's a deep thought. Um, yeah, I, love, I, I mean, I, uh, I I couldn't agree more. <laughs> um, I guess Will, like you know, it's been a fascinating conversation today, learning about how you are going about fixing this problem in the world, which is a, you know a taboo and an uncomfortable conversation to to talk about personal finances. And I mean, even you know, at the stage of making a a salary job, uh, it's still kind of uncomfortable. I know that financial advisors like want to manage accounts of at least, you know, 500 K and that problem you guys are um, uh, solving with your company is uh, pretty remarkable. So had to say that, um, or if, if somebody uh, from our audience or anyone who randomly listens to, to this podcast wants to uh, learn more about North Star and let's say they're not a, in the upper echelon of their company and just want to bring it up to upper management about, um, using this type of tool, uh, what do you recommend they do? Yeah, so uh, our, our website is northstarmoney.com and feel free to email me at will at northstarmoney.com. Uh, but uh, I would say uh, the, the, the best way that uh, somebody can bring it up is that uh, to point out that you have a ton of questions about um, the different things that you're getting from your employer. How do I choose the best health insurance plan? Uh, how do I understand my equity compensation? I have a ton of questions. Um, what's the best retirement plan to choose? All of these questions, they could ask HR or their boss or their manager. But what would be really amazing is that they've heard of this great uh, company called Northstar that can be <laughs> a really great partner to uh, the employer um, to answer all these questions for them. Wow, no, that's amazing. Uh- well, this has been another episode of Story Mindset. Uh, can't say enough about wisdom and, and things we've learned today. So, Will, thank you uh, so much for the time. Thanks so much for having me.